the way we run Curis, everyone's accountable for themselves and to be accountable to the team. So that discipline on having the drive and really accelerating to go do things that are bigger than yourself, to me, that's probably what sports has helped us create and taking lessons from sports and applying them to Purist is what I'm trying to do. And man, winning is so much better than losing. So we, we try to win at Purist as much as possible. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. Tyler Lorenzen is the kind of guy who likes to go big. And indeed, he made it to the Super Bowl in his rookie season in the NFL as a member of the New Orleans Saints. But it turns out Tyler's biggest play is happening on an even larger field, a farm field. When his football career came to a quick end, Tyler went into business with his father, visionary plant breeder Jerry Lorenzen, who believed in the importance of creating a more sustainable plant-based food system decades before the first Beyond Burger hit a grill. In 1999, Jerry opened a soybean conditioning facility in Iowa. He added a second plant in Randolph, Minnesota in 2008. Tyler picked up the baton a few years later, or should I say the soybean, and spearheaded development of the company's signature pea protein, an ingredient used in many products on the market today from performance drinks and soy lattes to energy bars and yes, beyond burgers. If there's an entrepreneur out there capable of getting the public excited about regenerative agriculture, it's Tyler. You are indeed the first former professional football player to be on our little show. So congrats on that uh, distinction. Uh, well, thank you. I always laugh about the, the whole NFL tag because of the way I like to uh, explain the acronym is not for long. That was my, <laughs> my experience in the NFL, but it was uh, certainly a great chapter in life and, and fortunate to, uh, to be done one, but to experience it as well. Well, you had a couple of pretty impactful years. You did walk away with a Super Bowl ring. Am I right? You know, the timing is a crazy thing in life, and I, I, I rode the right right waves at the right time with uh, the New Orleans Saints and really was a part of something pretty special. And, you know, I, I probably took it for granted 10 years ago or so, but this past year was the 10-year anniversary of when uh, us New Orleans Saints beat the, the Vikings and then end up beating the Colts in the <laughs> Super Bowl. But we, we all went back down to New Orleans, and the team had – the, the team back down for, for the weekend. And it was, it was just very touching. And you start reflecting about all of the different things, the leadership moments, uh, the chances, the choices, the sacrifices, the various things that just kind of stacked up together to make the year, the year it was. And it's, uh, it's really special. So I, I, I say it tongue in cheek, not for long, but I, I am so grateful for the time I spent with a great organization and you know, living here in Minneapolis, it's it's always kind of nice having having that uh, that on the Viking fans. <laughs> I bet that's that's kind of. Do do you walk around in in New Orleans Saints gear? I don't do you do dare. That. And you know, after the Minneapolis miracle, I, it was tough to feel confident about the 
about the situation, but nonetheless, um, super, super fortunate and also, also happy to being the, doing the next thing in life that, uh, that, that I'm trying to be a pro at, which is, you know, the plant-based food movement. Well, and that's what we're here to talk about. But, but timing is everything. That is for sure. Um, so I'm curious, Tyler, tell us a little bit about what growing up was like. I know, obviously, your father's work had great impact and influence on you in terms of what you're doing today. But as a kid, were you all about football? You know, you know you're know, you right on. I mean, sports are so defining. I grew up in Iowa, and you play every single sport, you know, football, basketball, baseball, track, you name it. And that's what I love doing. That's what I committed to do. And my dad always said, you know, why sports are finite. So why you can play, give it everything that you can. And my, my friends and I, now we're all old and we, we <laughs> joke with each other that how much we worked as kids, uh, because at fourth grade, I was hiring crews of my friends to walk the soybeans and, and manage the cornfields and et cetera. And you start looking back and talking to other people that didn't grow up like we did. And, you know, working wasn't something that people did, maybe restaurants or whatever. And, but where I'm from and with a family business where the two first employees were the two kids, uh, you can imagine that we worked a lot. And uh, so, yes, uh, my child sports, and that's what I love to do. But I think my work ethic and really how I learned to manage people and, you know, some of the sacrifices it takes to succeed is, is family business that my parents started when I was just born and my sister was two. And, uh, you know, by the age of 10, we were pretty significant parts of the business. Well, so talk a little bit about the business and was this and, and where in Iowa were you? So, so my dad set up shop down in Oskaloosa, Iowa. It's, it's around an uh, hour and a half southeast of Des Moines. And the goal there was to leverage the, the soil there to start breeding plants. And my dad was a plant breeder. His goal was to go into some of the more diverse and difficult soil in Iowa and start building seeds that were more resilient and could withstand some of the disease that was present in the soil there. And so his whole concept was, you know, farmers grow seeds that, that breeders breed, uh, but with the intention of feeding them to animals. And instead, could we start breeding plants with the intention to feed people? Because his belief was someday there's going to be so many people on the planet that feeding plants to animals and then eating animals to get our protein is not going to work. But we need to make it more efficient and taste better if people are going to choose plants first. And this is back in the mid 80s. And I heard it time and time again, my whole childhood, how if we can make uh, healthy plants that are more nutritious, higher in protein, taste better, and farmers just happen to grow them because it can make the money. And could we build a more efficient food system that is ultimately more sustainable for a growing world? And that was the business my dad started and really the, the business that we operate at scale today. It sounds like he was way ahead of his time. What kind of reaction would he get back in the 80s when he was talking about this? It's probably the best example about that is is a little bit how he reacts now. And you, you'll catch my dad as he explains things, almost defending his choices. And I, Nicole is my sister who uh, runs uh, our other business. Uh, so I run Purest Proteins, which is our JV with Cargill. And then she runs, uh, it's called Purest Holdings, which is everything else 
uh, from our seed company to our uh, downstream manufacturing and things of that nature. But we, we always joke with my dad that while you're defending yourself today, people agree with you. And, <laughs> you know, you don't have to defend it anymore. Times There's have changed. People, times have changed. And I think he spent so much time in front uh, taking, you know, it, it's difficult to be the tip of the spear and, and, and you tend to get a lot of shots taken. But his, his whole goal and his stubbornness kept us in the game. And I think he's uh, very fortunate to have a, a loving wife that was also his business partner uh, and my mom. And just they just kept going and they never quit. And now, you know, fast forward 35 years, people actually care. And, and the forces are aligning to allow business to be a little bit easier because there's demand and there's, there's really want to have clarity of where your food comes from, how it was made, what's the journey it travels. And ultimately it's nutritious purpose purpose for people and planet and these are all the things he was saying back then right and people thought he was crazy because it wasn't a big business we weren't big yet (laughs) and it, it was it was a lot different than it is now that is for sure but you it sounds like kind of bought into the message or maybe were forced to as a kid early on i mean this was kind of part of your experience i know you studied business in school i mean were you thinking about how this grows and evolves you know when you play sports you think it's going to happen or last a lot longer than it does but i always had a a plant forward mindset and with with football specifically trainers and everyone whey protein is the only protein you can eat to gain muscle. So I spent my whole college career and pro career arguing of why you can eat plant-based proteins to, you know, put on muscle mass and, and to have proper nutrition. Again, fast forward to now, that's a lot of people argue exactly the same as I do. And it's just more accepted. Uh, so yes, I, I think I did have a, a good idea that this business was important because it was my dad's dream and my dad's my hero. And so that, that wasn't a tough uh, part for me, but I think the, the timing, as you mentioned, I thought I would, you know, play pro football and, and have a, a long career and, you know, leverage that. And it was just the right timing where my dad needed help. Um, I was available, <laughs> you know, got cut and it, it just, it made sense. And, I'll never forget, I told my pops, uh, we bought a, a manufacturing plant. We borrowed the money uh, from a, a MES lender, which basically is not a way you want to borrow money because it's very, very expensive. And we bought this facility in, in Turtle Lake, Wisconsin. And I just got cut from playing with the Saints. And it's freezing cold uh, up, 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 up in Wisconsin, and we're touring the plant. It's an old dairy facility. I'm like, why are we buying this? And my dad's like, this is the next step that we have to take so we can make plant-based proteins because that's the way we can get more farmers to grow our our seeds. And I was like, you know what? A lot of tailwinds support your idea, dad. If you need help, I'll help you. But we got to go big because I'm not going to do something if we stay small. We have to go big and do this right. And I've really spent the last 10 years focused on not, not just helping my dad out, taking our family business and turning it into a business business and recruiting a bunch of people to help support the whole vision. Okay, so before the going big and before you became involved in in a formal way, how was your dad making money? How did he support the family all those years? Yeah, I mean, he's a genius, first of all. (laughs) 
Um, so, so he started at, at the basics. So the first thing that had to be true was, can we make seeds that farmers want to grow? And if so, we have a seed company. And so it wasn't huge, but it was enough to then make enough money to invest in, okay, if farmers grow our seeds, can we buy them back? All right, let's buy them back and find people that would want to buy these specialty products to make food out of them. So we built our business by working with Japanese customers on specialty soybeans that were bred in a certain unique way that uh, this thing called natto, uh, which is basically a fermented soybean. So we built a facility in, in Randolph, Minnesota, which is uh, south on 52, kind of by Cannon Falls. And its whole purpose is to take natto soybeans and export them to Japanese customers that then it's a staple food in Japan. So these these moves that he made were really building a closed loop model of vertical integration with the goal of getting to plant-based food. And but but at in the 90s it was a seed company. In the early 2000s it went from a seed company to a merchandising company and then that was the way it was until 2011 when we said all right, now it's time to take our same seeds, those same crops that the farmers grow and turn them into plant-based proteins because now we can add value to them, uh, more use cases for plant-based proteins than, uh, than a whole, whole whole crop or whole seed, and then build that market. And that took some time. It was mainly a soy company, um, but I kind of saw the world a little different. Um, my dad believed in peas as a really important tool for farmers to grow. Could, it, could you imagine growing peas as a double crop and grow soybeans or corn in the same calendar year, so you can enhance the value on a per acre basis. What, what do you and mean? What do you mean by a double crop? So typically, when you grow, so wheat, corn, hemp, oats—they're all crops that need nitrogen. Uh, so they're they're cash crops. So these are the ones that farmers want to grow. But farmers also grow legumes on rotation. So soybeans, peas, chickpeas, fava beans lentils, et cetera. And they grow those typically in off seasons to add nitrogen to the soil. So legumes fix nitrogen. So take nitrogen from the air and convert it to usable fertilizer for itself, but they overproduce it. So there's enough fertilizer for the next plant. So if you look at corn, for example, for every bushel of yield, there's about a pound of nitrogen needed. So corn, call it yields 175 bushels per acre. So 170 pounds of nitrogen needed for for that acre of corn, which is a lot. So you look across the the Midwest and in the waterways and even in the Gulf of Mexico, there's these, these things called algae blooms, which is basically an uh, excess amount of agricultural runoff, specifically nitrogen, that is then synthetic nitrogen that's put on our cropland to grow all of these nitrogen-needing crops. So legumes like soybeans and peas are used in rotation to offset the nitrogen needs. So peas and soybeans both both have about 70 pounds of nitrogen on a per acre basis that they can add to the ground, which obviously offsets the amount of chemical nitrogen that farmers would use. Well, the, the challenge with soybeans, so there's about 90 million acres of corn, 80 million acres or so of soybeans, but it's just one, it's either corn or soy. And there wasn't a third crop and there was never multiple crops in the same the same land on an annualized basis. So peas typically grow from farther north. So his whole concept was, can we adapt them to further south? So a farmer could grow peas, corn, and other crops in one 
one annual calendar year and then offset the nitrogen every single year. And so this is his concept. He started his breeding program for peas in Kansas. And I would love if he was on the podcast, he'd tell you the story, but he convinced these farmers to grow it. And he goes, you know what? It's not going to go very well. And the farmer's like, what? He goes, they're all going to die. He goes, but if you, if you could just grow them for me, it, it'll, it, it'll be the first start. So all these farmers, there's like nine of them, they plant the peas, they all die, but a few varieties. And my dad's like, this is a tremendous success. And the farmers are looking at him like, you're crazy. Like all, all the peas are dead. And he goes, no, those ones are alive. And so he took those, those varieties and started uh, making more. And this was back in 1999. And I'll never forget I was going to college in 2004 and we were walking through our genetic plot in Iowa and there's, you know, one seed goes, you know, as one plant and then one plant makes multiple seeds. And now we have rows of, of peas and I'm looking at these peas. They're not looking very healthy in Southern Iowa. They're not <laughs> meant to be there. And I'm like, dad, what are we doing with these peas? And he goes, Ty, they're going to be the future. Like this will be the tool that organic farmers will use to make more money on their organic land, offset their need for fertilizer, and it's going to be the future. And so fast forward to 2012, and I I called my dad. I said, you know what? I really think there's some legs here in, in pea protein. Some of the various people in the industry are looking for it. The quality of the, the protein is not very good. Everything that soy protein has pea protein could be but it needs to taste better and i was like so what's up with all your peas and he goes <laughs> oh the program's taking off farmers are growing it all over the place and so this guy named kashal chandak he's our vp of r&d uh we set out to invent pea protein and we were both not even 30 years old and our my dad is crazy enough uh, just gave us the keys and let us be ignorant and try. And sure enough, uh, we were able to really create something special. And we commercialized our pea protein in 2014. And it's, it's uh, just been a roller coaster ride and mostly just growing uh, since then. And all because my dad believed peas were needed to make more regenerative agriculture for farmers. Your father sounds like an unbelievable visionary. I'm still just fascinated by how, if you're, first of all, just wrapping your head around his vision, but then saying, oh, yeah, we're going to just invent a pea protein. How the heck do you do that? Does that happen in a laboratory? Does that happen in a field? How did you do that? Well, first of all, it, it was hard to know my dad was a visionary back then. And that is just reality with, with visionaries. Mm -hmm. I think now it's, it's so obvious. Um, but back then it, it wasn't so much. And yeah, I, I believe in my dad and he's one of my best friends and just my hero. And I think, how do you invent something that that's game changing? It's really this, this concept of not being afraid to fail and cause you're going to. And so if you're so scared to fail, you're ultimately never will get started. And I think that's, that's something that is built into the culture that my dad's created here and, and, and really exists across all purists is people are willing to take risks to do things that are, that can change the world. And uh, just living into that abundance mentality of going for it, because like he always used to say, he goes, hey, if we, we fail, we'll just fire ourselves and then hire ourselves back tomorrow. Like, <laughs> it's okay. And, and I always, I joke, and now the business gets, is getting bigger. And I, I, 
what we have to do and, and what we're really striving to do is create a culture where people continue to push and, and leap the business forward and leap the world forward and create more possibilities with plants and opportunities for farmers and different foods that, you know, when 20, 30 years from now are more efficient and leave the world better off than it is today. That's why we're doing it. And I think that's how we created something like pea protein is looking at a, a, an asset that was mothballed and forgotten about with an industry that was on its decline, but taking a risk and, and buying it, but also recruiting people locally that wanted that facility to, to live on. And so we used a lot of ingenuity and uh, trials and tribulations, all of that good stuff, but is a bunch of people coming together wanting something better for that location, better for the world, better for our company. And it, it just, makes special things happen. Sure. It's my belief. So it feels like as as we've seen the explosion of Beyond Meat and I know you you are a supplier for them, right? Um it, it, it seems like we the world is kind of starting to understand a little bit in layman's terms some of the things that you're talking about. But all of this development and research that you were doing was that happening before brands like Beyond Meat? Was it happening in tandem? How did we get to this place? You're certainly right. The, the social forces, the economic, the technology forces are all kind of coming together right at this moment for a number of different reasons supporting the plant-based movement. I think Beyond Meat, IPO specifically, made the, the movement more mainstream in a, in a rapid way, which happened in 2019. We went all pea protein back in 2012, and that Beyond Meat was found in 2010 or something like that. So they were very, very small, just getting started. And I think plant-based meat gets a lot of the attention, but you actually are probably consuming plant-based foods every day. Maybe it's in your oat milk latte, your almond milk latte, or, or soy milk as an example. And we really got going with pea protein in the lifestyle nutrition industry. Hmm. So think about, you know, protein shakes and, and meal replacements, nutritional supplements of that sort. And that's what really catapulted us into the pea protein ingredient market was brands like, like Vega, uh, which their founder is on our board and an investor in Purist, but they're uh, a tremendous company that was really a leader in the space to create really plant-based nutritional shakes. And there's tons of others I can mention them, but th that's what started it for us. And plant-based meat was more of a, a, a lagging reason for us to get involved in, to the, in this plant-based protein industry. And really we, we want to create more value from our pea seeds. And to do that, to grow more, you have to create more opportunity for food eaters to consume it. Like there has to be a, a demand. Otherwise farmers won't grow sustainable crops. If there's no place to sell them, mm, why would they? Good They're going to grow what people are willing to buy. Right. And so we have to create that reason. And uh, But you're right. I think in terms of plant-based meat, you look at the growth and just the the interest that's happening right now, it's uh, about 1% of total meat consumption in the United States. Uh, plant-based dairy is around 14% of fluid milk consumption. So you could do the math if if that's what's possible in non-dairy or, or uh, non-animal protein version of something, 
it can get so much bigger. It's a $12 billion opportunity just if it gets as big as, as non-dairy milk and plant-based meat. And we think that that's uh, just the tip of the spear. Right. So so today, um, the all of those those drinks and supplements and things you're talking about, is that still the bigger part of your business? Who needs your pea protein or, or who are you selling to today primarily? We look at our customer mix is really across all of the major food market segments that are using plant-based protein. So this goes from the minute you wake up in the morning to going to bed and really everywhere in between. So from snack bars to snacks to ready to drink beverages to dry beverage blends like protein shakes, as I mentioned, of course, plant-based meats. We see a, a huge growth into meals and different, even fresh meals that you're seeing plant-based meat as an inclusion in many things. Uh, I don't know if you noticed uh, Pizza Hut announced they're going uh, nationwide with a Beyond Meat Pizza uh, pizza. So I think there's a ton of different opportunities. Our opinion is there's animal-based proteins. And anything that's currently consumed as an animal-based protein, Purus is going to solve a food application to make the same thing that tastes better, is more nutritionally dense, and it comes from a more sustainable system from plants. And if we can cut out the middleman more and more often, we know we can build a more efficient system that uses less land, less greenhouse gases, less inputs and can make more sustainable and resilient food system here in the U.S. And if we can prove it here, we know we can do it abroad. And that's really been the, the goal. My dad calls it protein independence. And really, the purists, we call it a plant-strong planet. If people could start eating plants first uh, from in terms of protein in the middle of the plate, that will be better for all because it's a more sustainable food system. Okay, I have to just pause right here and ask you, what did the Lorenzen family eat for dinner when you were growing up? Did you eat meat? Yeah, yeah we did. Uh, we definitely ate meat. My, uh, my mom grew up on a, a cattle farm. And we're from Iowa. <laughs> and so one of the first products my dad invented, uh, this was in the 90s, was a, a thing called brattos. And the bratto was a bratwurst that had a lean brat lean pork basically blended with his uh, tofu that he invented as well. And so you can imagine there's a, you know, half meat, half plant product. And that was the the future. How did that taste? Delicious. It's (laughs) actually too good. And I'm all plant-based now. I've been this way for six years or so. And uh, which I think it just showcases how much he was leaning on what he thought was possible. Cause it was never, trying to make anyone a villain for eating meat. It was really about providing opportunities so people could eat less. But it is just not that clear. And the biggest issue was the food wasn't tasting good. And that's, to me, is the biggest change today is we're creating foods that actually taste good that just happen to come from plants Mm -hmm. and just happen to come from more regenerative and robust agriculture system. So it's funny, Tyler, I as an as an aside, I've been a vegetarian since I was a kid. I, I like to joke that I was ahead of my time. The truth is, I just didn't really like the taste of meat. I, I wish I had had as clear a vision and purpose as you and your family. But I say that I'm a vegetarian still today. You say that you're plant based. Is there a difference? Yeah, there is a difference. So I think one is, if you look at all the different diets, I 
I don't, I don't love the concept of, Hey, what I don't eat. We like to talk about it. What do we eat? Which is a lot of plants. Mm -hmm. So, but, but vegan is more about a lifestyle. So that's, that's all, that's absolutely no animal products in anything. Not only what you consume in food, but what you wear, uh, every, every part of your life is without animals and, and really is the, the driving force of vegan. Vegetarian is no meat, but eat eggs and dairy. And plant-based is kind of in between vegan and, and vegetarian. It's more diet-wise, absolutely no meat. But lifestyle-wise, excuse me, diet-wise, absolutely no proteins from animals. So basically vegan. But lifestyle-wise, it doesn't have the same a degree of influence. It's more or less vegan. Plant-based diets are. Uh, the plant-based movement, though, isn't about a hundred percent. It's about the majority of your calories are coming from plants. Okay, versus so versus animals. I, I know we're on the record here, and you might want to say it. So, like, would there be an occasion where maybe you would have a, a beef, you know, a, a, a burger that's not plant-based? Not a chance. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't. So the meat side, no way. Where I slip up is, you know, cheese. First of all, it comes on things where you don't expect it. And two, uh, sometimes pizza just is better yes. uh, if you just eat it. And which is one of the things that we're working on, I think I mentioned this before, is if there's anything out there that's made from animals, Purus is going to figure out a way to make that same product taste better from plant. We're going to salt cheese. We're going to salt eggs, meats. The drinks and that's really the standard i call it the iowa test if you can't feed this food to people from iowa i'm from there so i can say this <laughs> and it doesn't meet and meet their delight it's not good enough it has to taste so good that that you wouldn't know it's from plants that's what will get people to start choosing plants without thinking of it as a diet or a sacrifice or, or anything like that so you think there's a there's a adequate cheese alternative in our future because i just i can't imagine life without cheese personally I, I do think it'll get there. Right now, the industry is, to me, is pretty far from where it needs to be in terms of, of like to like. And I, I do think the the plant based industry is is also paving paths that things aren't always about tasting exactly the same, but sometimes tasting better or in a, a different experience, which is good. Uh, but ultimately, we have to figure out better better solutions. Uh, from an industry standpoint. Otherwise, to your point, why would you give up cheese? <laughs> right, right. Um, did did being an athlete sort of help you with the discipline in terms of how you eat or, or thinking about every single thing that you put into your body? Yeah, I've never thought about it, but probably it's, it's probably helped to some degree. I think, in, I think in terms of being an athlete, what it's helped me the most is is discipline in general, uh, just pushing yourself to be better. You know, I, being an entrepreneur, running a business, you know, it's not like my dad is calling me every day and putting a bunch of pressure, you know, on on what I do. That that's certainly not the case. the 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 way we run Puris, everyone's accountable for themselves and to be accountable to the team. So that discipline on having the drive and really accelerating to go do things that are bigger than yourself. To me, that's probably what sports has helped us create and taking lessons from sports and applying them to purists is what I'm trying to do. And 
man, winning is so much better than losing. So we, we try to win at Pierce as much as possible. I bet. Losing, let's face it, sucks. Well, speaking of wins, uh, you've picked up just a few dollars from Cargill. They've become a major investor in your work to the tune of, I think it's $100 million they've now invested. Yeah, Cargill's been an awesome partner. And, and I think, of, you know, being here in Minneapolis and they have uh, – their network is obviously global, but they're very strong footprint here. We've been able to really connect on what's the best part about being partners with uh, the biggest gorilla in the room. And I think they're getting a lot of, uh, of the benefits of partnering with someone that can move a lot faster than they can Hmm. in in a different way. And uh, together we've been able to really go after this space. And uh, we met Cargill well, I've known Cargill forever. Uh, they have a, a large manufacturing plant back where I went to high school. And so I know how big of scale that they they, they do things. And for us, uh, we met them um, and, and really were working on developing more business together, uh, which started laid the foundation for us to build a relationship. And I think it, it was pretty clear now that they're they're very much involved in the plant-based food movement globally. But it was pretty clear to them that they wanted to get into the space. And it was pretty clear to us that we needed a partner that could help us get there financially. And what's so cool about Cargill is not only were they able to write big checks, but also when we need their support, right down the interstate, we have some of the best resources in the world that could help us move our business along faster and in a more meaningful way. And and uh, I've just been a totally... Uh, blown away with their their ability to really build great businesses and and save people, save food, uh, lean methodology, so many things that's helped us uh, grow as a company. Well, clearly they they believe what what you're doing and uh, and and see the the vision as you do with the kind of investment that they've made. It, it it does make you wonder, like, why don't they just acquire you guys? Would would you want that, or does it get back to what you were saying that as a as a startup, as your own entity, you can just move faster and do more than they can as a enormous corporation? Yeah, I think there's there's definitely balance balances in in any business. So you you have to look at innovation starts at the edges. So Cargo obviously has a massive animal protein business and. They, they do a lot of things that are really different than what Purist does. And so how can you get involved in an industry uh, in, in a meaningful way, I think, is, is how Cargill views their investment in Purist. And, you know, ultimately for us, we want to grow and, and make a, a very meaningful company that helps families and helps communities and does what we set out to do. And so it's never been about how to make how do we make a quick buck and sell the company. If that was the case, we would have sold a long time ago. That 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 uh, could have happened uh, before. And my dad's vision and what we the ethos of Purist is that we feed people first and just figure out a way to help feed people in a, in a more logical way that that can help the planet and be delightful. That's what we're focused on. We're grateful that Cargill is a minority partner. They're they're invested in one part of our business, and there's so much more that we have to do, and we're just getting started. So I'm I'm grateful for their partnership, and uh, definitely not uh, in it just to you know, quote unquote sell out. We want to grow the company, and uh, you know I'm I'm pretty 
I call myself old, but I'm pretty young. So I, I <laughs> feel like so. I got 30, 30 to 40 years of this still in me. So so what do the next just handful of years look like in this space and, and for your, your company? Where are you focusing? Right now we're building a, a new plant in Dawson, Minnesota. So similar to the story I told you about our first facility in Wisconsin, uh, we found another dairy plant that fell on hard times, but was perfect for what we wanted to do. And we spent, uh, we bought it in 2018, and we spent the time from then until now engineering the facility, ordering all the long lead time equipment, and we're in the process of building it. Uh, so it's all coming together. It'll be an absolute gem of the plant-based food industry at the right scale, food safety, people safety. Uh, beautiful and in a a place that uh, great people can come and build a livelihood uh, in Dawson, which is exciting. The original facility was built by Lando Lakes in the 70s, uh, actually, believe it or not, to be a soy protein plant. And it lasted for a year or a couple of years. And then it was sold to as a a dairy facility for 30 plus years. And we're, we're taking the basically the infrastructure, some of the utility and gutting it and then rebuilding everything, which is uh, kind of funny. But but uh. <laughs> What's the reaction on the farm? When you go to a town like Dawson and you're kind of a slick, you know, city, big time operation, big money behind you, how do the farmers, how does the agricultural community react to what you're doing? It's still, you know, kind of on the edge. Yeah, we think so. But we think farming is cool. <laughs> and so, so the way we talk to farmers is as the heroes that they are. And the way we talk to the people running our facilities are the heroes that they are. It, it's, it is cool what we're doing. And the people that are joining the team are cool as well. So I definitely don't think that, that, that certainly uh, with peer, anyone that works at Pierce, you got to check your ego out the door because there is, absolutely nothing that is uh, below anyone here. Uh, we all pitch in and that's really back to the core values the company was founded on. You know, my dad started with 250 bucks. So we by no means uh, expect much uh, of appreciation for anything that we've done. We think there's a lot of work to do and we are out here doing it uh, with the team. And I think what's so cool about taking you know, rural communities and investing into these facilities is you you're resetting the life of the asset which is mean it changes the the job situation for the next 50 years it's not like a five-year thing this is going to last the investment is a a 20-year 30-year investment we'll and we'll continue to invest year over year in these facilities and that to me is what's so exciting and you get that momentum and that feeling when you're in these communities. Uh, People are excited about that they get to participate in the future of food and help create it. Do you meet with a lot of farmers who are like eating beyond meat? I just, I still, maybe I'm old fashioned, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, you know, being stereotypical, but like, I just, I'm just curious if you still get a lot of, ah, pea protein, whatever, you know, we, we're meat and potatoes people. Does that come up or do they see the future the way you do? Yeah, I think every time a person that's not ate a Beyond Meat burger or plant-based before takes a job at Purist. You've just now got their family at least trying or considering to try these foods for the first time. Every time a farmer starts farming with Purist, they want to know where those peas are going and what they're going to be used for. 
So we, we have product programs that we do that we want that connection uh, for not only what people are doing, but the food that ultimately gets produced from all of these efforts. And I, I think you're right. Yeah, most people, they're not uh, plant-based only, but the curiosity and the food tastes good. And so when people can understand that they're part of a, of a bigger movement, I do, I do think that adoption to plant-based diets or at least trial is, is something that we're helped making happen across the Midwest. When we're growing peas in California, as far south as Georgia, 14 different states across the Midwest, and this, it's a, an incredible amount of diversity we have in our pea, uh, pea origination plan. And there's a reason behind that. We think that what we're doing today is just a fraction of how big this movement will be in the next you ask what, what's the future hold. We think that there's a lot of growth that we have to enable. And it starts with the farms and it starts with people trying the food. And every time we add someone to the purest team, that's a new plant-based food customer potentially. What's the big purpose behind all of this, Tyler? I mean, it's it's not just about a healthy diet, clearly. What what drives the mission of everything you're doing? Is really the balance of both both health of people and health of planet, and I think there's a disassociation. That's probably not fair. That people understand that we are living in a changing climate, and I think most people, regardless what side of the aisle you sit on in terms of politics, understand that there's there's change in our climate happening at, at that is certainly different than it's ever been. And when we look at it, if we could make better food choices that's on a personal level the biggest thing you can do to start combating climate change and specifically around agriculture so not only are farmers not not only are agricultural decisions affect climate but it also affects pocketbooks and we need to have more resilient profit and loss systems at our at the farm level and to, to purists that's by giving farmers more tools that are more valuable to them, which just happen to be more sustainable for the planet, that's a great start of building healthy food. And we think that they're so connected that if we don't work on it, you know, who's going to? The exciting thing is, is there's so many people that are are starting to, and we're really uh, just at the beginning, but we know that there's a lot of work in terms of soil health and climate change and water quality. And it all stems from making better choices, not only in the food that we eat, but the food that we grow. How do you think you're really going to convince, you know, the, the, the greater portion of the public uh, that what you're doing is, is the way of the future? How do, you, how do you get people to get on board? Yeah, I think the nice thing is we're not by ourselves in this. And uh, there's a lot of great work happening from NGOs to brands. To other food manufacturers like us that are enabling this, I think consumers are pretty smart. So the the access to foods that we make has been democratized. You know, with e-commerce and uh, shipping across the United States, people get their groceries delivered to their front door, literally. And the pandemic's only enhanced that, at least people trying it, which allows folks to try plant-based food. You see QSRs start giving people the the uh, quick serve restaurants. So I think Burger King and Hardee's, et cetera. Uh, McDonald's announced they're coming out with the Mick plant, uh, as they call it. So these kind of opportunities allow folks across the 
the United States and even the world to try plant-based foods for the first time. I think the taste is, or I think the, how do you convince? It's, it's all in the food. Right. When great food tastes good and makes you feel better, and then it happens to you know help out animals, and it happens to help out the environment, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, tailwinds that support sticking with it. And we're not asking anyone to you know, go 100% and, and give up all the foods that they eat, but just give it a shot. And if it, if it tastes good and it's something you can incorporate to your diet, you're, you're doing a lot to help the world as well. So what's one product that you would suggest our listeners go out and try if they haven't eaten something made with pea protein before? What should, what should they dig into? The, the, most, the, the best thing to do, and I think the easiest place to start, is just with the plant-based meat. Uh, you, if you haven't tried it, you'll definitely be the cool kid going to the <laughs> grill out. I know it's wintertime here in Minnesota. So you may have to wait a bit, but it, it's certainly uh, most of the restaurants around town uh, sell uh, the Beyond Meat Burger, which I would definitely recommend trying. And but there's so much out there, uh, so much. And you know, I'm a bit of a. You know, a lot of our customers were so tied up with NDAs that we we can't share. You know, who uh, non-disclosure agreements, uh, who we supply. There's one customer that's pretty open about it, which is a. Uh, back to my football roots, but his name's uh, Tom Brady and his brand TB12. Uh, but they uh, they manufacture a really great protein shake that I would highly recommend people to give it a try. Talk about somebody who looks at every single ingredient he puts in his body. Oh, it's crazy. What's so surprising is how many athletes are going plant-based. Hmm. And, uh, you know, Alvin Kamara, the, he's leading the NFL in all-purpose yards. He's the Saints running back, he's plant-based. Uh, Cam Newton, the quarterback for the Patriots, uh, formerly the the Panthers, plant-based. Uh, Chris Paul, he was on his tail end of his career in the NBA, and he went all plant-based and had his one of his best years ever with the the Oklahoma City Thunder. So there's just, I mean, there's just a few quick name drops that maybe people know. But this whole concept of people finding edge in performance by eating a plant-based diet, those are some of the ways that convince the mainstream eaters to consider this. And then when the food tastes good, that, that's what makes it make the most sense. I love just imagining that locker room talk is about pea proteins and plant-based diets, <laughs> right? Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that, too. It, it's, it is really cool. And, you know, athletes are looking for an edge. Uh, they really are. And I think this whole concept, there's a, a documentary called Game Changers, which uh, James Wilkes is a MMA fighter who ended up studying this whole concept of plant-based diet and this association that, you know, only way you can get gain muscle mass is through eating meat. And it's just so funny because the proteins that we eat from animals, where do you think they got those from? They got them from plants. Mm-hmm. and this whole concept of making plant-based foods more uh, consumable for for eaters is a is a great thing, and that that's a great documentary. If you haven't had any uh, any experience with the plant-based food movement, great entertaining place to start is the Game Changers documentary. Cool, that's a good one to check out. Thank you for that, um, Tyler. Is your dad still in involved in the business? Yeah, he, he leads our breeding side of the company, uh, and he's chairman of the board. 
I would say he's as deep as he wants to be on anything that he wants to go deep on, but he loves his, his plants. Uh, they're his other children. And uh, I'm just so grateful that he's, he's trusted me enough to let us go find and bring on people that are much, much better than any of us Lorenzans at making all of this happen from, you know, save people and save food and uh, just operational execution. It's, it's taken a ton of amazing folks that have decided to change their careers or come join Puris because they believe in the purpose of, of the business. And I am just incredibly grateful that they have chosen to do that because we wouldn't have made any of this happen without them. How big is your team at this point? We have about 300 employees across uh, both businesses and six manufacturing locations here in Minneapolis. Uh, we're actually building a, a new corporate office, which will have a, a pilot plant and a commercial kitchen attached to it. Uh, there'll be around 40 to 60 uh, folks there. And we have a number of new companies that we're starting that will help enable the plant-based food movement even more. Uh, of course, our, our joint venture with Cargill and the business that I run, uh, it is the champion adoption of plant-based proteins across the globe. We're, we'll double, double the company next year uh, and you know, hire 90 people in Dawson, Minnesota, a town of 900 folks. So just really incredible stuff. And it's never a dull moment at Purist. I guess. For sure. It's, it's pretty amazing to, to think about the, the kind of growth. Where do you spend most of your time and focus? I focus on running Purist Proteins. It's a, it's a big manufacturing company with a, a, lot of, a lot of the pieces of the puzzle really dr- go through this, this protein manufacturing. And we have hundreds of customers in every key market segment. All the brands that you could buy with plant-based and Whole Foods or Target or whatever, and those are the types of customers we're working with. And they're going through some of the, the incredible growth that we are. So helping them... Uh, navigate the industry, uh, really thinking about how do we modernize our business and bring technology and uh, allow our impact to be easy to understand. And remember that in the end, we have to make affordable and accessible food and feed as many people as we possibly can. And, you know, big goals require a lot of work, which is fun. So I'm, I'm down for it. It's fun. That's. I'm glad you think it's fun. Is it as fun, I guess, ultimately to bring it all full circle as football? Maybe not what you envisioned as a kid that you would be doing. This is turning out to be a lot longer and more enduring than, than the football career. How do you feel about where it's taken you? So Drew Brees is one of my good buddies and is someone I, I have tremendous respect for and look up to. And we were uh, sitting down, this is maybe a year, two years ago, talking about his offseason and, and his timing. He goes, well, you know, we got to get this done soon because, uh, you know, during the season, I, I don't have any, any time. And I was like, Drew, you know, something I've learned uh, about running a business is the difference between football and business is it's game day every day <laughs> in business. And, it's, and in football, you have this luxury of it's game day once a week and and we laugh, Drew, Drew over-prepares, so he, he, he treats every day like game day. But that's the biggest difference is businesses never stop. You know, we run our plants 24-7. Uh, there's constant moving, movement happening, and there's not that pinnacle mo- moment once a week where you either win or you lose. It's about every single day knowing that how do you get a little bit better 
move things forward. And I think that's why it's so important to have a great team that it's not always roses. Things aren't always good, but people that are resilient, that lean on each other and get through the good times and the bad times and just know that we always have each other's back and we're always together. Yeah. As one in the end. Yeah. Well, exciting times. Can't wait to see what happens in just the next few years. I, I, I can only imagine what we'll, we'll all be uh, eating pea protein and, and, and talking about it. I have no doubt. Puris will be a big part of that. Thank you. Well, thank you, Ali. Let, let's hope. We'll, we'll definitely do our part to make sure people eat more of it. And as, as things come, uh, come together and keep growing, uh, we'll share more. There's a lot more coming, and I think the you know Twin Cities and Minneapolis and this bold North movement it has a way bigger role in the plant-based future than people even realize. Hmm. And there's a lot of companies that are making things happen, including Curis. Uh, and we're all based here, and it tends to get a lot of credit on the coast, but it's driven from the heartland. I love it. All right, Tyler, thank you so much for your time. Tyler Lorenzen talks about going big. Such a great idea, so inspirational. But do they teach that in business school? Let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Craig Herkert is the executive fellow and an adjunct professor in marketing at the Opus College of Business. Craig, I'm really curious what your takeaways were from hearing Tyler Lorenzen talk about this up-and-coming business. Well, I think it's really important, as you indicated, to think about going big. One of the things that I stress with my students every year is that they need to think about business opportunities, whether they be entrepreneurial business opportunities like Tyler's or just business opportunities that are structured within a large corporation like 3M or General Mills. The ideas have to be big enough to matter. It frankly doesn't matter if it's a really cool or interesting idea if it doesn't pencil out, and, and by penciling out, I mean, will it make enough increase in sales to matter to the organization, or will it make enough profit uh, increase to matter to the organization? It ultimately has to matter if either you and or the organization are going to spend time, money, and effort on the idea. Okay, so does that mean that if you have something small and stable and relatively safe, you shouldn't do it? I think you should do it, but I think you need to have realistic expectations for what it might achieve. Oftentimes, entrepreneurs are driven by having businesses that they can either ultimately build into a big business for their family, for their own sort of satisfaction. Oftentimes, they want to spin the business off. They want to sell it to a, a larger company. We see this oftentimes, particularly in the consumer product goods space, where entrepreneurs for, will start businesses and ultimately sell them to companies like General Mills or ConAgra or Cargill. Mm -hmm. And so if you, if you have an expectation that your ultimate goal is to sell this off and to do something important or scalable with it, yeah, I think it does matter. If what you want to do is have something that provides for you and your family, I think that can be a beautiful thing as well, but your expectations need to be aligned with what your business is. Right. You don't hear Tyler talking about doing it for the money. I mean, he talks about going big, but it isn't about let's make a ton of money. He's got a real vision, and it vision yeah. seems to be so important. 
I really like that about what Tyler's doing here. And, and one of the things I stress all the time is that I don't know that we, we can point to any successful business person and look back at their history and say their goal was to get rich. I, I just don't know of any of those cases. It's always their goal was to do something, to do something big, to do something important. And I think Tyler clearly believes in this product. He believes in plant-based food alternatives. It is way more important to do something you believe in. And then ultimately, you may, whether or not you get rich or you just make enough money to live happily or you know, have, allow others to live happily, that should be a, a side effect of having a great business. But I like the fact that Tyler is doing something that he believes in. He believes it's good, and I think he's right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, lots to think about, lots of good advice to, to take from this interview and from you. I'm sure there's lots more in your classrooms as well. And I guess when in doubt, good to have Tom Brady on speed dial, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> it's always great to have good counselors. One of the things that I tell people, again, whether you're an entrepreneur or in business, Developing a network of people who you can call on to give you sound and sage advice, particularly people who are not beholden to you, people who can give you the straight truth, it's critically important. Right. Absolutely. Well, Craig, thank you so much for your perspective. And thanks to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Thanks to you for listening to By All Means. If you like what you heard, you can learn more about the show at tcbmag.com slash byallmeans. If you're listening on iTunes, take a minute to rate and review us. It really helps the show. And thanks again for listening to By All Means. To make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed By All Means. Music